Good morning again, church. Um, as always, it's a joy to gather with you as God's people. Uh, one of the things I love is being reminded of the good news of Jesus and his kingdom, of why we really gather here. And we need each other to do that, and I'm just glad that I get to play a part. Again, as I said, my name is Joel McCarty, um, and I get to serve as one of the pastors here. Um, I love being a pastor. I love what I get to do. Um, sometimes I this happened this week, just this moment, and it's always in just really random everyday moments where I kind of step back and realize how grateful I am uh, to just be able to do something that I believe um, is, in a sense, I, I guess it feels weird to say what I'm made to do, but some of you understand that when you're getting to do something that you truly love. Now, when you talk about pastors, especially in the South, when I'm like out in the community and I'm meeting people and getting to know people and they find out I'm a pastor, it's always interesting watching the different reactions. Um, it's not information that like I'm just you know readily share, but it doesn't take long for people to ask, you know, what do you do for work or whatever, where they find out, you know, you're a pastor. Um, I love it. Uh, some reactions are kind of positive, right? They think a pastor can do no wrong. Like immediately they just assume like you get like 10 extra points on the respect scale because, oh, he's a pastor. Like, oh man, okay, you know, great. He must be a really good person, you know. Um, that's always interesting. Even if like you're not their pastor and they have no idea who you are. Like you'd be the worst person in the world, but well, I'm a pastor. So, you know, it's weird to me. Anyways, uh, some people start apologizing for anything they do that they think you think is wrong, right? So they drop a cuss and they go, oh, sorry, pastor, sorry, pastor. And I'm like, oh, like I, I don't care, it's all good. You know, or they uh, mention like the weed they smoked last night. And oh, sorry, I can't, you know, like, I'm like, look, like, whatever, you know, like, honesty is a good thing. So uh, I'm not much different. I'm a human just like you, right? Um, some reactions aren't quite so positive. Unfortunately, many pastorates have been used as a cover for things like sexual abuse, physical, spiritual abuse. Um, and so if you or someone you know has been groomed by pastors in the past and taken advantage of, uh, there's going to be some skepticism there. And for good reason, right? Like when you have a scam artist, you should start getting skeptical of these phone calls you get calling you about your car's extended warranty. Like if someone takes advantage, you should slow down a little bit, right? Um, maybe we've seen pastors who aren't necessarily abusive, but maybe they were lazy or cowardly. When the time came to defend uh, maybe you or, or their people, their members. Um, and so the exposing of those in the pastorate, like that's a good thing that, that those who are using the pastorate would be exposed. That's a good thing. Uh, the heart of a pastor should never be to use his people um, for his own purposes. The heart of a pastor should be to guide, to care for, to protect his members. And ultimately, like our heart is to lead people to Jesus. The people within a church family are not the pastors. The church is not the pastors. It is Christ's church. These are God's people, and our goal is to lead people to an intimate relationship with him, the true shepherd, the true pastor. Sometimes people will ask me, like, oh, so New Eden, that's your church, right? I'm like, nope, not my church. It's, it's Jesus' church. Um, I do get to be one of the pastors there, if that's what you're asking. And I'm like, I'm seriously not just trying to Jesus juke them. I'm like, we've got to change the narrative. This is not my church. This is not Kevin's church. It's not our church. It's the church, the bride of Christ. And we get to steward during this season until we all meet the true shepherd one day. That's the word pastor has this long history of shepherds, where it comes from. Shepherds would take sheep to graze in the pasture, which represented security, safety. It represented flourishing. And so this imagery of shepherd, we see quite a bit in the scriptures, especially since this was an agrarian society where they understood the imagery of shepherd and sheep. 
And today in our text, you heard some of the text read. We're going to be in John chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 1 and go all the way through verses 21. Jesus uses this imagery of shepherd throughout the whole thing. And I love it because he's not afraid to expose the motivations and actions of false shepherds. And he shows us in comparison to how true shepherds act. Now, we don't rub shoulders with shepherds that often, right? At least I don't. Maybe some of you do. I don't know. I don't know many shepherds. Um, So that analogy might not quite be as applicable uh, to us as it was in the the time when this was written. Um, So it's helpful for us to know a little bit. So good shepherds were definitely gentle and kind and caring as they uh, led their sheep. That's an analogy that a lot of us, maybe some of us think of. But it doesn't mean they were weak by any means. Shepherds, this was a grueling job. They were typically very strong people who would lead these sheep and spend hours out in the field, but their strength and power was used rightly and directed at the wrong thing. It was directed to protect the sheep, not to abuse the sheep. So I was trying to think of a modern day analogy, and I just think of like a really good dad. Now, we didn't all have good dads growing up, and I acknowledge that. I recognize that, right? But if you've been around a dad who's like, like the kid knows like, they got their back, like they've got a strength and like the dad can just give, you know, what you call the look, right? And like the kid straightens up, but the kid also knows like, I've got your back and like, I'll come to battle for you. They've got your back through thick and thin. So yesterday, my social media timeline was flooded with this video of a bunch of dads. Some of you might've seen it at this school in Louisiana. And these dads decided to take action to love and care for both their kids and their fellow students. And I thought it kind of depicted this real-life example of what we're talking about when it comes to a good shepherd. And so I want you to just watch this video really quickly, and you'll see what I mean. Not many good news stories begin in such a bad news way. It happened last month here at Southwood High School in Shreveport, Louisiana. Plagued with violence. Over the course of three days, another fight. 23 students arrested for fighting. Massive police response. But strangely, there hasn't been another incident since, perhaps in part because of this most unusual crisis intervention team. Nobody here has a degree in school counseling. No majors in criminal justice. No, no. Your qualifications are? Well, Dad, we decided the best people who can take care of our kids are who? For us. So Michael Lafitte started Dads on Duty. We're out doing what we do for our babies. A group of about 40 Southwood dads who now hang out at the school in shifts. Let's go. Today, any negative energy that enters the building has to run a gauntlet of good parenting. What's going on, buddy? You moving fast. I like that horse. I immediately felt a form of safety. We stopped fighting, people started going to class. How could that be? You ever heard of a look? A look? Dads have the power to do that? Yes. (laughs) Not many people know it, but yes. (laughs) Let's go, let's go. But it's not just the firm stares and stern warnings. Let's make it to class, my son. It's also the dad jokes. (laughs) They just make funny jokes like, oh, hey, your student's untied, but it's really not untied. (laughs) They hate it. They're so embarrassed by it. (laughs) And it's that perfect mix of tough love and gentle ribbing that dads do so well that has helped transform this school. The school has really just been like happy and you can feel it. Which is why the dads plan to keep coming to Southwood indefinitely. Because not everybody has the father figure figure at home. Or a male period in their life. So just to be here makes a big difference. 
Do you think you stumbled onto something here? Absolutely. I think absolutely. I absolutely. Yeah. Have a good morning. They'd like to start chapters of Dads on Duty throughout Louisiana. What's up, baby boy? And hope to eventually take on the country. All right. Without a fight. <laughs> Steve Hartman on the road in Shreveport, Louisiana. Strength, right? gentleness, care, love, compassion. Right? Qualities displayed by these men we just witnessed, and also qualities of any good shepherd who cares for his sheep. Now, in the Old Testament, the title of shepherd was typically reserved for the leaders of the nation of Israel. The kings, the prophets, and the priests, uh, their role was to lead people in a communion with God, to protect them from false idols and things that might harm them. And they were especially called to care for the weak and the hurting among them, those that had needed extra attention because they had been oppressed or harmed. Now, if you remember our story from last week with the blind man, the leaders of Israel, the current leaders, had done the exact opposite. They had cast this blind man who had placed his faith in Jesus out of the synagogue. And it's not an accident that John places this conversation about shepherds and sheep right on the heels of that story. Jesus wants to make clear who the false shepherds are and who the true shepherd is. And so in our text today, as we go through it, Jesus is going to mix and match different metaphors about shepherd and sheep and gates and uh, sheep pens and all these things. We could get bogged down in the details. You could go back and read it more detailed later. But I think we're going to spend our time best by looking at the big picture. What is he trying to do? And I think it's, it's very simple. It's a contrast between the false shepherds and the, the true shepherd, the good shepherd, which is Jesus himself. And so that's simply what we're going to do. We're going to walk through the passage just like that. We're going to see how false shepherds operate and what their, um, you know, what their characteristics and actions are. And then we're going to look at the true shepherd. So let's start by looking at the false shepherds in the text. Again, we're in John chapter 10. So the first thing we see, false shepherds are stealers. Now, that is a word. Uh, John uses robbers and thieves, uh, but I wanted it to be alliterated. So I went with stealers. Okay? It's not like the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's different. People who steal things, right? Stealer. Um, I, and then this morning I was on Twitter and someone was like, I hate people who force alliteration in their sermons. And I'm like, well, sorry, I did it this morning. But anyways, hopefully you'll remember this word. Shepherds, false shepherds steal things. They rob and they're thieves. Look at John 10 verse 1. It says, truly I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. And so to understand this, get the imagery here. Often shepherds would share this big pen for their flock to graze in. Okay, and if you were, so, so multiple flocks would be in this one pen. If you were the rightful owner of the sheep, you had nothing to hide. So you would come right in the front door and say, hey, I'm here to get my sheep, right? You had no reason to climb over and do something at night, to operate in the dark. You have nothing to hide. In verse eight, again, Jesus uses this same analogy. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. This is probably referring to all of the false messiahs that came around the time of Jesus. They had come before Jesus claiming that they could save Israel, that they could lead them, but they only wanted power and control for themselves. They're thieves and robbers only here to steal, kill, and destroy, is the way he says it in verse 10. Normally, we can spot these false shepherds, right? Uh, they're destructive and they're deadly. They care nothing for the sheep except how they can use them and manipulate them for their own purposes. Leaders who are called to protect and care for these sheep have now ravished and destroyed them for their own selfish gain. Sometimes, though, it's not always that obvious, right? 
And Jesus tells us that. There are the thieves and the stealers, but the next thing we see about false shepherds is that sometimes they're just strangers. False shepherds are strangers. That's what Jesus tells us in verse 5. It says, they will never follow a stranger. This is the sheep. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. So when people would come in to call their sheep, if it was a different shepherd, a stranger, the sheep would not follow the shepherd's voice. And and this is interesting to me because one characteristic of a false shepherd is that he doesn't actually spend much time with the sheep except when he has to. He's not there to shepherd. He's there to collect a paycheck. And so typically he remains distant and aloof. He's got ulterior motives. He doesn't actually know the sheep that well. And they don't know him. When he calls, they don't recognize his voice. The only time the shepherd talks to these sheep is when he's just trying to get them to follow orders. Never to comfort them. Never to care for them. They're just there as strangers. So false shepherds are stealers. False shepherds are strangers. And the last thing we see from our text is that false shepherds are selfish. Verse 12 and 13 talks about this. It says, the hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and does not care about the sheep. So sometimes shepherds would hire different people to care for their flock, these hired hands. And they were fine when everything was okay and things were going according to plan. They're there to collect a paycheck. But the moment that sacrifice was demanded, the moment that danger approached, the hired hand would just flee. He was only in it for himself, not for the sheep. And there are leaders like this. So Kevin and I experienced this dynamic. We were renovating this building. And we would, you know, pay people to come in and do certain things in the building. And we're like, why don't they care about the details of this as much as we do, right? Because it's our building. We care about it. They're the hired hand. They're there to do their job and then move on to the next one. They install 20 doors a day. So if it's a little off, no big deal. I've got 19 more to go today. We're like, no, no, no. It's got to be like perfect, right? Because this is like, like, and you guys understand this. If you ever had somebody work on your house, you're going to care about the details more, more, most likely more than they do. And this is how these hired hands were. They're like, sheep, okay, no big deal. Not my sheep, you know, whatever. False shepherds in our text today were only in their position of leadership because it gave them power and control. They weren't there to serve the sheep. The moment it required sacrifice, they would throw their sheep to the wolves to protect themselves. And Jesus had no patience for the religious leaders in his day who were supposed to bear the title of shepherd and live that out, but their lives and actions didn't match. And here's the thing. This is very applicable to today, right? So in the New Testament, the title of shepherd is then given to pastors and elders within a local church. These people called to shepherd and guide followers of Jesus into deeper communion with their heavenly father. The same call to love and protect the people that was given to the leaders of Israel, is given to pastors in our day. The role of shepherd is what a pastor is supposed to be. And unfortunately, right, I probably don't have to try to convince you that in our day, we see false shepherds and pastors. Sin has not changed. We see pastors who are stealers, thieves, and robbers. We see pastors who abuse money, sex, power, 
They manipulate people into giving money just so they can turn around and use it to bring about their own vision instead of the vision of God. Pastors who use their power and authority to groom congregants and abuse their congregants sexually. Pastors who are spiritually abusive, who use their power and authority to lord over and manipulate and control people. And this always leaves destruction in their path. And there is no place for that in the pastorate. Like I pray that those men and women are exposed and they should be removed immediately by their fellow pastors and their congregants. Like I mean that. We also see pastors who might not be obviously abusive, but they are strangers. There is this culture where they see themselves as distinct and separate and above those that they are serving, right? It's not okay. Like if a pastor is unapproachable, distant, and aloof, if he refuses to be known and to know others, like that's a big red flag. Now, as size dynamics change within a church family, not everyone can know the pastors of the church at the same level, right? Like that's just legitimate. But if there are not some people that he knows deeply and is known by deeply, that's a problem. That's why I believe one of the qualifications of a pastor in the New Testament is that he is hospitable. He's willing to have people in his home, to let people come in and and see the way he treats his family, the way he operates around those who he knows best. He's got friends in the congregation. Sometimes in pastoral circles, I think those of you that have been in these circles can, can hear this. They'll say, hey, you can't really be close friends with your church members. I'm like, I could not disagree more. Maybe I'm just naive, but I'm like, I got some really close friends in my congregation. Like, I love these people, and they know me, and I know them. We live life among the people. A good shepherd is not a stranger. He's not unapproachable. He is not special. He is also a member of the body, engaged with the life of the body. And if the only time the pastor talks to his people is when he needs them to serve somewhere or do something for him or for the church, like, there's a problem right? This begins to create a culture of fear instead of a culture of grace. If the pastor's presence is seen more like the principal's office when you were a kid, right? Like, oh, I'm going to go talk to the principal. Like, instead of a friend, mentor, counselor, cheerleader, fellow co-laborer of the gospel, right? And some of that feeling might come from our own baggage, and we've got to be honest about that. But if that feeling is coming because that's the culture that we want to create, then there's an issue there. I know this is awkward for me talking about pastors, but I think it's applicable from the text. Lastly, we see pastors who are selfish, only in their position for the sake of selfish gain. If you want to see a pastor or a leader's motivations exposed, see how they respond when it will cost them, when it will cost the attendance numbers to go down or the budget numbers to drop. And often, I think some of you could attest to this, sometimes the leaders were hurt by the most aren't the thieves, the ones that we know are out to destroy us. Often it's those pastors who by their lack of actions or their silence around certain things, maybe their laziness, their selfishness, that's what really hurts us. And Jesus says these are false shepherds. So what do we do with this, right? What's the answer? When we see the pastorate abused or authority figures and leaders misuse their authority, is the answer to just get rid of authority? Let's just not have any leaders, right? Let's just get rid of them. I don't believe that's appropriate. I believe authority and leaders are a gift from God, but here's the deal. Our hope and trust 
has to be in the one true good shepherd who always has the sheep's best interest at heart. Now, if I could speak specifically, like here at New England, like we hope that over time, like we model healthy leadership and, and we hope that you learn to trust, even if you don't agree with every decision, that you trust our heart behind the decisions and our leadership. But we never expect you to place unconditional trust in us. Like, I think that's stupid. Like, we can be a piece of your spiritual journey, and we hope to, by God's grace. But we are not the answer for all of your problems. And I'm glad I'm not, because I can't, I don't want to bear that weight, and I can't bear that weight. I'm not meant to. Like, we can't ultimately save your earthly leaders and shepherds and spiritual guiding, like people who guide you, they can't ultimately save you and rescue. Like, only Jesus can. And so my hope for us is as we interact and deal with false shepherds, because you will, many of you have, I hope that this drives you and me to look to the one true good shepherd, which is the point of our passage today. If our life's purpose is simply exposing false shepherds, and maybe God will call you to do some of that. Paul talked about that in the scriptures. That happens sometimes. But if that's your soul life purpose and you're never looking to Jesus as the one true good shepherd, you will be empty. And so let's do that in the remainder of our time today is look to Jesus, who is the one true shepherd. Look at verse two. In comparison to these false shepherds, verse two, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. He's not driving them. He goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. The good shepherd sees every single one of his sheep. The first thing about the true shepherd we're seeing is the true shepherd sees He knows them by name, and he calls them out. He goes ahead of them. He never leaves them alone. In the background of much of this shepherd sheep imagery is a passage in the Old Testament from Ezekiel, Ezekiel 34. We won't read the entire passage. I encourage you to go read it later. But in verse 4, this is what God tells the false shepherds. He says, You have not strengthened the weak. You have not healed the sick, bandaged the injured. You have not brought back the strays or sought the lost. Instead, you have ruled them with violence and cruelty. And God says, I've had enough. And look at verse 15 and 16. God says, I'm going to step in. I will tend my flock and let them lie down. This is the declaration of the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the strays, bandage the injured, and strengthen the weak. But I will destroy the fat and the strong. I will shepherd them with justice. There's some good news. You're on the right side of that. This is right after Jesus restored this unwanted and discarded blind man who he saw when no one else did. He called him. This shepherd is intimately known by his sheep, and he invites that, and he intimately knows them. 
Like for those who are in Christ, we and you need to hear this, that Jesus sees you. No matter how far you think you've wandered from the fold, no matter how many times you think you've screwed up, he will leave the 99 to come find you because that's what he does. It's the Lord's declaration. He will seek the lost. He will bring back the strays. He will strengthen the weak. And he will bring justice to those who have been oppressed and harmed by false shepherds. As we sang earlier, he will fight for us. He knows you by name. That meant a lot in the scriptures. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows the emotions you feel and the doubts you have. This shepherd sees you. And I love it because the shepherd not only sees and just feels sorry for you and goes on his merry way, he does something about it. Because the true shepherd not only sees, the next thing we see is the true shepherd secures. The true shepherd secures. Look at verse 7. Jesus said again, truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it, not only life, but have it in abundance. When sheep would be fenced in the fold, often the shepherd himself, this is how it would work, they would lie down across the entrance, the gate, and they would become the gate themselves when they would sleep in the evenings. So that way, if anyone tried to come through, they would be awakened and could protect their sheep. And this is the imagery that I believe Jesus is drawing on here. That he himself stands as the gate. He is the one who is making it secure and safe. This good shepherd will protect his sheep. There's this freedom of movement going in and out. Because they know the shepherd will protect them. You know how your kids, like when they're in a secure environment, they're just going crazy because they know they can. It's like when, when my kids are in the fence, there can be cars driving by, but they're just going crazy in there because they feel safe. This is the promise for those in Christ that you are not only known, but you are protected and secure. Like he's got your back. On Caden's little football team, all these little seven, eight-year-olds, they get these chants and they've learned. And one of the chants they do before every game to like hype themselves up is one of the kids, you know, he always loves to lead the chants. He'll get in the middle and he'll just be like, who got my back? And all the other kids will be like, we got your back. And he's like, who got my back? We got your back. I was going to get y'all to do it, but I better not. So it's like not the best grammar, right? But it's a great chant. And I'm like, that's awesome. Y'all got each other's back. That's not as good as some of the ones they do. Uh, there's one they do. Uh, the kid goes, hit that boy so hard, make his mama say what? And all the other kids go, ooh, that's my baby. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I don't know about that one. There's other ones that are like trash talking, whatever. I'm like, have fun, get hyped up. I didn't teach them, I promise. But I'm like, the I got your back one, I like that one. That one's good, right? And that's like Jesus has the back of his sheep. No, for those who are in Christ, no final or eternal harm will come their way. And you have what you need in abundance. You know why? Because Jesus gives you himself 
and he's more than enough. He will provide. So the true shepherd sees, he secures, and next, the true shepherd sacrifices. In opposition to the false shepherds, the true shepherd cares so much for the security of his sheep that he will give up his own life to secure their safety. Look at verse 11. Jesus is getting plain now. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The shepherd loves his sheep to the point that he gives up his life. This is why the father loves Jesus, because Jesus is displaying the father's love for the world in the giving up of his own life. And there's one sense in which this generally speaks about a good shepherd will sacrifice for his sheep. But this is getting very specific about the cross of Jesus that he knows he is headed to in the next six months. The Gospel of John is fast-forwarding us pretty quickly, we're going to see, to the time of Jesus, when he will crawl up on a cross of wood to give his life up for the sheep, to become the gate or the way to the Father, when he will be beaten, mocked, stripped naked, whipped, and dragged to die on a hill all alone outside the city, labeled as a thief and a robber, though he was the furthest thing from it, And I love this because in verse 18 of our text, we're not going to read it, but Jesus makes clear that this isn't just the result of some angry religious leaders. This is the sovereign plan of God. You ain't taking my life. I'm laying it down willingly. The shepherd becomes the lamb slain for the sins of the world. To rescue us from the evil one that seeks to steal, kill, and destroy us. He is the true shepherd Davidic king who wins by dying. And he's willing to be that perfect sacrifice on our behalf. But not only does the good shepherd sacrifice his life, he also saves. And this is the last thing we'll see about the good shepherd. The good shepherd, the true shepherd, saves. See, Jesus doesn't just die to die. Like, I hate watching a movie where someone dies unnecessarily. Like, I'm like, that was a stupid, pointless death. Like, at least accomplish something if someone's going to die, right? I'm watching Lost right now, and I'm like, that dude was an idiot. Why did he die? Like, nothing even came good from that. Like, that's not the way it is with Jesus. Jesus is accomplishing the salvation of the world in his Death. Look at verses 15 to 18 again. He says, I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not from the sheep pen. I must bring them also. Like we're doing something here as I go lay my life down. And they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock from all nations, tribes, and tongues. One shepherd, Jesus, the lamb slain. This is why the father loves me. Because I lay down my life Why? There's a point to this. So that I may take it up again. Like, don't let the lamb slain confuse you. There's a roaring lion that's coming up out of the grave. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I got the right to take it up again. I've received this command from my father. Jesus is not only the sacrifice that we kind of feel sorry for because he got put on a cross. No, he is a powerful lion who can save, and he is accomplishing this with his sacrifice. 
This is the resurrection. The lamb who was slain does not stay dead, but rises in power to rescue all those who are his. As the writer Andrew Peterson says, the lamb of God slain for us is now a lion ready to roar. In verse 16, Jesus says, there are many others to save. I know that the house of Israel has been scattered through these false shepherds all around the world, but I also got other people that aren't of this fold that I'm bringing in. All the Gentiles, that's us. We're the beneficiaries of that. All nations, tribes, tongues are going to be brought into the fold through this work. And because Jesus has accomplished this work of the death, burial, and resurrection, that all we have to do now is the whole point of John, believe. He's trustworthy. He's the true and good shepherd. He's the one that we follow. And because of Jesus, when you get this, when you receive the good shepherd, or maybe so we can better understand it, like maybe we can talk about the father as a good dad. A dad who sees us. Who sees every piece of you. Like I can tell you, my daughter Everly's eyes and that smile that she makes when she's genuinely just happy and when she dances in the hallway, when she feels free and excited and happy. And I love every piece of it because I see her. And even the downsides where she's crying and upset like she was this morning because her brother sat on her Barbie's head. I care about you even with something like that. He is glad that we're his son, his daughter. He sees us and he secures us. He's got your back. He will not leave you alone and he'll sacrifice whatever it takes to care for us. A dad who saves us, who has the power to rescue us, not to just feel sorry for us, but to do something about it. And as we get this, as we understand that we are shepherded by the the true, good, chief shepherd, Jesus, we begin to grow into his image. We begin to see others like he saw us. Those sitting alone, those that no one else wants to deal with, we see them. We begin to, as best we can, bring safety and security to the lives of others. We got their back. We support them. And we're willing to sacrifice like Christ sacrificed for us. And we continually point them to the only one who can save, Jesus himself. So my hope for us at New Eden is that we create and cultivate a a culture of care and shepherding here. As I've heard it called, gospel shepherding, not just from pastors. We are all called to care for each other. And we shepherd each other in the gospel, pointing each other not to dependence on self or on us, but ultimately dependence on Jesus. The one who sees, secures, sacrifices, and saves us.